Welcome to Paramalchemation. This is the first episode of what I'm going to be calling Abnormal Stories, where in between my interview episodes I will be reading unexplained stories that have happened in the past. On this episode I'm going to be explaining the happenings of the Dietlov Pass incident, an incident that has left people scratching their heads for 62 years as to just what happened to the nine Russian hikers in the Ural Mountains of Russia in 1959. So without further ado, here is the story of the Dietlov Pass. In 1959, a skiing expedition was formed in the name of the 21st Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Igor Dyatlov, a 23-year-old radio engineering student at the Ural Polytechnical Institute, formed a group of nine other experienced hikers, most of which were from the same institute he was in. Now, these guys were grade two certified hikers, with grade three being the highest certification available at the time in the Soviet Union. This is what they would be getting certified with upon the return of the expedition. The route was designed by the group to reach the northern regions of Sverdlovsk and the upper streams of the Lozva River. Diaries and cameras found at the last campsite made it possible to track the days preceding the incident. On January 27th, the group left the village of Vizai, the last inhabited settlement to the north. And on January 28th, one of the members of the group, Yuri Yudin, turned back due to many health ailments that he suffered from. The remaining nine hikers continued the trek. On January 31st, the group arrived at a highland area and prepared for climbing. In a wooded area, they cached surplus food and equipment that would be used for the trip back. The next day, the hikers started to move through the pass. It seems as if their plan was to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side. But due to worsening weather conditions, snowstorms, and low visibility, they deviated west towards Holachal, meaning Dead Mountain. Now, I don't know about you, but a place that the locals call Dead Mountain is not a place I want to be stranded. When they realized their mistake, the group set up camp there on the slope of the mountain instead of moving downhill towards a forested area that would have offered them more protection and shelter. Now when asked, Yuri Yudin speculated that they probably did this because they didn't want to lose altitude or that they just wanted to practice camping on a slope of a mountain. This is also the last night that any of the group were alive. Now Dietlov promised that he would send a telegram to their sports club as soon as they returned to Vizai and it was expected that that would happen no later than February 12th. But when the 12th passed with no letter, there was no immediate action because delays of a few days were expected on expeditions like these. But on February 20th, the relatives had demanded search and rescue initiative. The head of the Euro Polytechnical Institute sent out the first search and rescue team consisting of teachers and students. Later, the army and militia forces had joined with planes and helicopters ordered to aid the investigation. On February 26th, a student found the party's abandoned and badly damaged tent. The campsite baffled the search party. 
The student that had found the tent said that all of the belongings, including shoes, had been left inside with the tent half torn down and covered in snow. The investigators said the tent had been cut open from the inside and nine sets of footprints made by people wearing only socks, one shoe, or barefoot were made leading away from it. So basically these guys left in a fucking hurry. Like they were not okay there. I mean, if you're running out in the snow with negative 22 degree Fahrenheit temperatures, um, you're going to be wearing more than socks or barefoot or just one shoe. That just doesn't seem right. Now, 1,600 feet away from the camp to the northeast, the searchers found two bodies and what looked to be like the remains of a small fire. Now, while investigating the area that the bodies were found under a Siberian pine, they looked up and found that branches had been broken five meters high, which means that they were trying to climb up the tree to get away from something or to possibly maybe look for the camp. Between the fire and the camp, the searchers found three more bodies who died in poses suggesting that they were trying to return to the tent. Finding the remaining four people took more than two months, and they were found under 13 feet of snow ravine 246 feet away from the original pine tree they found the first two bodies at. There were signs that the ones that had died had their clothes removed and used by the other ones who were still alive. One of the girls were found wearing one of the others torn and burned pants and her shin and foot were wrapped in a torn jacket. Autopsies had found that six of the group members had died from hypothermia, but the other three had died from very strange fatal injuries. Now, of the three that had fatal injuries, one of them had major skull damage, and another had major chest fractures. And according to researchers, the force required to do such damage had to have been comparable to that of a car crash. But it is to be noted that none of them had external wounds associated with the fractures, meaning that they would have to have been subjected to high levels of pressure. However, some of them did have soft tissue damage on their head and face. One of the girls were missing her tongue, eyes, and lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of skull bone. Another male had his eyeballs missing, and one of the other ones had their eyebrows missing. It is also said that one of the male's articles of clothing had been found to be slightly radioactive. Now this is where it gets really fucked up and confusing for me. Is uh, The official conclusion was this was caused by a slab avalanche. And you're going to tell me that your clothes are going to become radioactive and pieces of your face are going to go missing. And uh, your chest is going to be hit so hard that it fractures and your skull is going to have damage. No, that just doesn't add up to me at all. But um, let's continue. It is also noted that someone had attended five of the hikers' funerals and said that all of them had a deep brown tan tone to their skin. And another group of hikers about 31 miles south of where the incident took place said that they saw orange spheres in the sky the night that the incident took place. And there has been some contradictory evidence found that the location of the incident did not have any obvious signs of an avalanche having taken place. An avalanche would have left certain patterns and debris distributed over a wide area, and the bodies found within a month of the event were covered with a very shallow layer of snow. Had there been an avalanche of sufficient strength to sweep away the second party, these bodies would have been swept away as well. This would have caused more serious and different injuries in the process and would have damaged the tree line. 
and an analysis of the terrain and the slope showed that even if there could have been a very specific avalanche that found its way into the area, its path would have gone past the tent. The tent had collapsed from the south side, but not in a horizontal direction. And footprint patterns leading away from the tent were inconsistent with someone, let alone a group of nine people, running in panic from either real or imagined danger. All the footprints leading away from the tent towards the woods were consistent with individuals who were walking at a normal pace. Now, one of the unofficial theories of what happened um, was called infrasound, which is the wind picked up to abnormal speeds and caused infrasound, which induces panic attacks in humans, which is why they fled. And um, once they got further down the hill, they were away from the infrasound and could have regained their composure and it was too dark for them to get back. But the thing about this is, is it's inconsistent with the evidence that they did not leave in a panic. They left at a normal walking pace like they were okay. Another unofficial theory is military tests. Um, that The Soviets were testing what are called parachute mines. Um, and there is evidence that they were testing in the area around the time that the group was found. Um, but it doesn't really make up for the soft tissue damage with like the eyes missing and the tongue missing and pieces of the skull bone being gone. Um, it really only adds up with the skull fracture and the chest fracture. It had also first been thought that they were attacked and murdered by the indigenous Manzi tribe that inhabits the area. But after investigation, um, they had found that there was only the group's footprints leading away from the tent and none of it had seemed like they were in a hand-to-hand -hand combat for their lives. Now, if you ask me what my theory is, it would have to be something otherworldly because anything from our world would leave significant evidence of a struggle or, you know, an attack or any kind of other debris other than what was found at the scene. Um, and for people to have fucking chest fractures that are only comparable to when you get hit by a car or, you know, pieces of their lips and eyes missing. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, I really don't know what it is. I don't know what it could be. Um, I'm not a health expert either, so... But I do know that Soviet Russia was notorious for trying to cover things up, especially if it was something supernatural, um, like aliens, UFOs. If they did find any kind of debris or anything, they would have covered it up anyways and tried to harness it for their own power. Um, but I have no plausible explanation of what I think it might be. Uh, if you do, you are more than welcome to leave an email at paramalgamation at gmail.com telling me what you think happened. Um, maybe it was just an avalanche and, uh, people's, you know, math's wrong. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, uh, that was the day of past incident. Uh, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.